Hello and welcome to this NLive's Open for Business podcast platform. My name is Adrian Price, the guy from the university, as I keep saying, with the perfect face for radio. And I host a show every Tuesday from 7 to 9 p.m. called Open for Business. Open for Business celebrates the very best of business in Northampton and Northamptonshire and brings together business, civic, charity and indeed academic leaders to talk about the business environment, to talk about initiatives and projects, especially where, they're, where they are all working together for the good of the community. So enjoy these extended interviews on this podcast. They're now set up as a standalone for you to savour and uh, to learn from some of the movers and shakers in the county. Enjoy. Well, it's my great pleasure to introduce uh, my, my first guest for today, uh, a gentleman I met a few weeks ago, um, who I think not only will share some, some sort of personal insights into what we've talked about so far this evening, but equally what I think um, people need to hear in, in, in terms of where this goes for himself and for the foundation that he's a part of. Gentleman is James Wright. Welcome, James. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. The organisation is the Frank Bruno Foundation, which, as we know, is uh, embedded into the into the town, but equally into the county. And uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on today, James. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us on. Um, could you first and foremost just introduce us to who you are and where have you come from? Because you've got a really interesting background. <laughs> so, so my official title is um, coordinator here at the Frank Bruno Foundation. Um, there are many, many roles of that fits. Today, it's mostly been around teas and coffees. I've been really put in my place. But on a day-to-day <laughs> <laughs> -day level, I kind of oversee the, the, the lead of the team here. We have a mixture of team from admin staff. We've had recently had some two incredible students from your own university that have actually been a breath of fresh air into our organisation whilst they're here on placement. Um, I have some apprentices that are supervised and staff members. Um, and a typical day like today is we run our round by round program here at the foundation. And that is um, based on values that I hold of what I believe good mental health well-being and holistic approach to mental health is that shares with Frank's values of mental health as well. Um, okay. And today we've had um, 16 individuals access our course. Um, we've done some non-contact boxing with them this morning, so exercise, get their heart rates up, release some stress. And this afternoon, we've done a workshop, um, kind of digging a bit deeper of what is anxiety? Because I, I my own practice in mental health started way back in the 1990s, late 90s, when um, I started working alongside a community mental health team as a support worker. Okay. Um, and I was, was that working, in Northampton, James? Yeah, it was in Northampton. I was working for a, a mental health charity, which um, was first called... MACA, the Mental Aftercare Association. Okay. We, we understood that that terminology and that title actually promoted the stigma around mental health. So we changed the title to Together Working for Wellbeing. Um, and working alongside a local community mental health team, we as a charity, we focused on people being discharged into the community. We understood that when people left a, a psychiatric hospital setting, they were the most vulnerable in the first month or two of being kind of going home, that risk of relapsing, going back to hospital. So we would put support packages in to support okay. individuals. But around that time that you, you were typically working with individuals with schizophrenia, bipolar, schizoaffective disorder, um, depression, and really acute levels of anxiety. Okay. If you kind of come to today, 
my biggest frustration and concern is a lot of young people and a lot of mental health awareness now is learned from TikTok and YouTube. Right. So what we try and do here at the foundation is kind of redevelop the understanding of what was my professional background practice. We have a psychiatric nurse here, Lisa, who started in the, the late 80s. You know, and literally when Lisa worked with mental health, if you got detained under the Mental Health Act, it was a prison sentence. Mm. You know, you, you could do 12 years. Um, you wouldn't come out. So we're trying to go from our own practice experiences, Frank's values, and then into today's world of actually understanding what is mental health and what can we all do in life? We don't have to become mentally ill to focus on improving our mental health and understanding what mental health is. I've got you. So take take me back to how this used to be funded, James, because, you know, I think we're all aware of the sort of move to care in the community back in the day. Yeah. I think that brought out uh, a lot of challenges for, for uh, local authorities to fund and sustain. Mm. So, you know, you, you were probably operating back then under some severe constraints. So uh, I think in terms of sustainability for these sorts of services, what have you seen over the years in terms of being able to achieve it? Yeah, there's been a lot of, uh, you work to set budgets each year. Um, if you go under your budget, well, you didn't need that amount of money, so we'll slash your budgets. Okay. And if you mismanaged and went over, um, we'll give you more money. But ultimately, your ability to give, I always believe the most ingredient, important ingredient when working mental health is time. Mm. And, and the problem is that element of time, you can't put in a tick box. You know, um, when I started working in mental health, you would have, you know, numerous individuals in the community mental health team setting. Actually, their care would be led by a psychiatric nurse and a social worker because they would deal with different needs. If we come to today, they're very lucky if they can actually get a coordinator assigned to them. They might just remain under the care of a psychiatrist and get an appointment here or there. What we're able to do now, if you go across my 25 years of practice is, I used to have the ingredient of time. I could spend time with individuals, mm. work with individuals. That would build up a consistency and give people and individuals the opportunity to gain your trust and you could explore and dig a bit deeper what's going on in their world and work holistically with them. In previous years, I've been to betting shops with clients. I've been to cafes with clients because in those settings, we just sit down, have a cup of tea and we can explore what's going on by simply changing the environment. Yeah. Yeah. If we come into the, today's world with the lack of financial um, support that you can receive and time constraints, what happens is we're literally just clocking in and out with people's lives or right. we're responding. We're not working proactively to make change. We're responding to crisis. Understood. Understood. So how has that sort of been combated over the years? Have, have, has, has it been a mix of sort of budgets from within sort of service lines and a mix of grant funding, has it, has it been predominantly grant for? How has it been financed yeah, over the years? I, I remember certainly in the voluntary sector, I remember you kind of go back around 2007, 2008 time when you know we had our financial crisis in the UK, didn't we? And there was the um, agenda looking at personalised budgets where individuals could you know, choose and have ownership of their package of care. Um, that broke down quite quickly, sadly, but historically to then, it was a case of there's your money, off you go, We'll clock in if there's a problem. Yeah. So it wasn't reviewed, it wasn't identified. The voluntary sector, statutory sectors were really working close in hand, and we just stayed where we were. Yeah. Now, as we come forward, money is a lot, lot tighter. So it's on the emphasis of the voluntary sector services to be more creative, 
with their fundraising opportunities, being more creative with grants, really work on a baseline, a bottom line to still try and deliver and support those individuals that really need it and really impact our local communities, but with very low provisions to do so. Gotcha. Thanks, James. So we're back now. Um, funding over the years, as you say, um, people have had to be a little bit more creative, haven't they, in the voluntary sector? And I, I guess that the reliance on the voluntary sector to feed into the public sector services is something you've probably seen a growth in as well. So talk me back through that as well, over, in, particularly in the mental health space. More and more, we, we know that before COVID, you know, services were getting incredibly strained and what, what COVID has done has brought a bottleneck to it all, hasn't it? Um, the, the the more the need of mental health services, they just can't keep up. You know, you're hearing of waiting lists now, 18 months, two years to get assessed, to get screened. That's an incredibly long period of time. And what happens is the rise of the voluntary sector is, is trying to cushion that, trying to give people hope, trying to give people tools, trying to give people structures to support them with everyday life. But some of these, a lot of the individuals that we're supporting now have really intense needs mm. and if they can't get the right support straight away the weight and leading getting to that clinical intervention can be more damaging than good we can do the, a lot of positive work i'm really proud of our outcomes here and our impact reports here and we're making really positive changes into individuals lives but our referrals are getting higher and higher yeah. and higher because people are identifying that i'm in crisis now I can't wait three months. I can't wait six months. I can't wait nine months. And actually, when I am coming into the statutory services, the public services, it's minimal time. Mm. I'm getting assessed. I'm getting screened. I've always believed in mental health. It's a balanced approach between medication, psychology, psychiatry, and then a holistic approach, which we teach here as well, which is your mental health will be better if you learn the tools of, if you actually learn about nutrition, how to manage anxiety, how to set goals in life, exercising. It's a balance between it all. Yeah. But for individuals that are really struggling to get the help, they need both services. So what we're trying to do is give people the tools to move forward whilst they're in crisis or really struggling in life and helping them learn where to signpost to other voluntary sector agencies as well that might be able to support them with their needs. So, for example, we might have somebody come through the door here that has substance and alcohol misuse needs as well. We know that we can refer to other voluntary sex services rather than them wait two or three weeks to get assessed by a GP or a doctor to then get the referral. Mm. So we're trying to make that process quicker for people as well. I mean, it, it's quite alarming when you think, you know, Northamptonshire as a whole, I know we've got two unitaries, but we've got uh, a, a sort of a, a a well spread out community that needs support haven't we and and, and mm. i think it's fair to say there's there's a lot of people operating in this mental health space uh, thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed that interview there are plenty more here on the podcast platform and of course you can always listen on uh, live on tuesday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m on nlive radio 106.9 fm or digitally via nliveradio.com. Um, if you'd like to know more about the radio station, please do look at nliveradio.com. And um, we're always looking for support from the community and further afield. So if you'd like to support us, please go to nliveradio.com slash support us. So until next time, thank you very much again for listening.